Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity. Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. And Goldberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast in English. Coming up this week, WTF PSG as Lorient take a walk in the park. OMG, as Marseille see off Auxerre, the title race couldn't be on, could it? And we also look back through rose-tinted glasses at an astonishing Coupe de France final win for Toulouse. There's Deja Vu, Bon Voyage, and a whole lot more on this week's Le Bourgeois. Joining me, Ian Holyman, today is Angus Terode and Luke Entwistle, and they both witnessed quite a surprise at the Parc des Princes on Sunday. So did Andy Scott as Paris Saint-Germain went up against Lorient. Ball played into the middle, and Lorient take the lead. Lovely move, simple finish. It's 1-0 to the visitors. Delight for the travelling support. Enzo Lefay taking the acclaim, but really well worked. Down on the near side here, Kalulu to Romain Fevre, and just threading a pass through into the path of Enzo Lefay. A sixth goal of the season for Lefay. Paris Saint-Germain nil, Lorient one. Hakimi, he catches uh, Yungwa, and the referee produces a second yellow, and it's a red card for Ashraf Hakimi. Two bookable offences in the first 20 minutes. And Paris Saint-Germain down to 10 men. Well, it looked like a, a 50-50 ball. Hakimi catching the Lorient player. Benati looking for Mbappe. Strong play again from Mbappe. Might get a second bite at this. He's gone down. Everybody looking towards the referee. And he is not going to give a penalty. A wry smile from the France superstar. Well, this was... Such strong play again from Mbappe up against Montessar Talbi, looking to lay it on a plate for Carlos Soler. It was good defending for Vincent Le Goff. And a good challenge as well. And the ball has gone in as he watched the replay. A remarkable moment. PSG are back on level terms. And the Lorient players are furious here. They're surrounding the referee. They feel that that goal should not stand. Vogel has the ball in his hand here, Mbappe suddenly looks down and sees that the ball has come loose and turns it into the net. Now, Lorient's complaint is that the ball is still technically in the goalkeeper's control because he's not kicked it away. Patiently waiting for the opening to emerge, Romain Fevre. Away from Venati, lovely skill from Fevre. All the way across the face of goal, it's turned in. L'Oreal back in front. And that owes everything to Roman favourite mesmerising the Paris Saint-Germain backline. Terrific play to set up the goal. It is, nevertheless, a goal that Christophe Galtier will be furious about conceding. They got themselves back on level terms and the Ligue 1 leaders are going to have to come from behind again. Roman Fevre here. Who set up the opener? Getting away from Verratti, away from Bernat. 
trying to play it across the face of goal. It came off uh, several defenders on its way, including a touch on Donnarumma. And turned in at the back post. Darlan Youngwa putting Lorient ahead again. Ferrati cleared away. Cleared away for a chance for Lorient to run through. This time and make it 3-1. Bomba Dieng waiting for the support to come. And eventually it's finished off. And Donnarumma thinks there was foul play involved, but Dieng just... Uh, a matter of seconds after seeing his earlier effort disallowed. Can celebrate that one without too much question. His third goal for Lorient. And Lorient's third goal today. And why did Paris Saint-Germain not just leave somebody a little further back who could keep up with Bomba Dieng here? He had two teammates arriving in support. And it was indeed Bomba Dieng who finished it off, even if Roman Fevre was arriving as well. So the worst home league defeat of the Qatari era for Paris Saint-Germain. They'd never conceded three goals at the Parc des Princes. PSG's third home loss in nine games after going the whole of 2022 unbeaten at home. I should say that's the third home loss in nine games in 2023. Uh, gentlemen, PSG, bizarrely, aren't making... Well, not bizarrely, aren't making the headlines in, in uh, France today. But the only reason is that because it's the 1st of May and everybody's off here, L'Equipe doesn't even get printed. Because otherwise, I would love to have seen, hopefully, what should have been a scathing headline. Because this, this is a new law, isn't it, Angus? It um, has not been great, has it? I mean, they are still leading. They'll still, still probably win the title. I mean, it's still five points at the top. They've got to, they've got to confectively drop another couple of games to not win it. Um, it has been an experiment for um, Paris Saint-Germain this season, hasn't it? With a new philosophy, with Luis Campos coming in, with Christophe Galtier. Um, to be honest with you, yesterday, they all looked a bit lost, to be honest with you. You had Soler on the left, you had Vitinha right the way out on the right. Um, of course, they weren't helped by the fact that Hakimi was sent off after only 20 minutes. He got booked in the fifth minute and then decided he wasn't going to rein it in a little bit. Kept on going with the uh, the wild challenges and got sent off. And they they never really looked as though they were going to recover from that. They the, the problem they have is they still look suspiciously fragile at the back. And I'm not necessarily laying that exclusively at the defenders. It's also the midfield. It still doesn't help that um, they don't defend as a team with Mbappe and Messi up front. Um, they don't have, of course, Neymar, although not that he would track back that much either. But it's just they have all these players out. They clearly need to get some new players in, which Christophe Gauthier has been saying. Um, but unfortunately for them is that they have got some very expensive players on the books that they are going to struggle to get rid of if those players are not prepared to take a pay cut when they leave the club. And though a lot of those players who've gone out on loan, etc., have not been playing so well or they've been injured. And it's all been, it's all been a little bit of a mess. But again, this is the first season that um, you know you have a completely different sporting director in a sense with Campos and also with the manager in Galtier. And you've got to give these managers a chance to build something. And at the moment, that is not what is seems to be happening. Every time there's a mini disaster, um, then everybody jumps on them. And it, it, it's, it's a, stability is just not something that seems to be part of the Paris Saint-Germain setup.
Well, I think I think it's 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 fair enough to, for people to jump on them. Not not in just in terms of a knee jerk reaction to one result, but this has been weeks and weeks of of, of below par performance. I mean, even Christophe Galtier admitted that his team basically switched off in the second half against Angers. They won. Angers got relegated yesterday. Come on. I mean, Hakimi, seriously? What are you doing? What are you doing? Watch everybody. His second challenge that gets him a second yellow card 20 minutes in, having been booked about after about five minutes. He's a grown man. I'm not even talking about an, a Morocco international. He should have at least a, a modicum of sense. Really? I mean, this is just... I, I can't believe it. I, I, I don't even... Nowhere to start with this. I mean, Luke, you, you look at Luis Campos comes out after the, the, the game and says this, the club must be united. Everyone must stand together. It's hard, especially when you lose a game like that. I presume he means by playing absolutely woefully. I found a very disappointing dressing room today. What I expect from everyone is a reaction. Hmm. We haven't had one yet, have we? I mean, this is a defeat which comes on the back of, as I said, performance after performance after performance, which aside from the game against Marseille in the league and aside from the game against Lens, it, it, the performance have just the performances have not been there. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're talking about nine defeats in all competitions in 2023, which is just absolutely incredible. And, you know, the fact that they are where they are in the league with the lead that they still have, I, th I think is just a testament to just how scintillating they were in that first part of the season. I mean, I think everyone's waiting for the reaction. I think everyone's expecting the reaction. And then when it doesn't come, especially against a team in the mid-table with nothing to play for that has been on the decline in recent weeks in Lorient, you know, that is the game to just wrap up easily. I mean, you could say that about every single remaining game. I mean, I think you've probably spoken about this running before, but really all of these are very, very, should be very easily winnable games. So, I mean, yes, a reaction, but what does a reaction really constitute? You know, was Angers 2-1 a reaction? Arguably not, because, I mean, you'd expect them to put four or five past a team that is relegated five days before the, you know, five game weeks before the end of the season. I mean, that is not a reaction, especially in light of that second half performance. I mean, I've spoken a little bit about, you know, what I saw from Galte last season, um, kind of watching Nice very closely and, and being there very regularly and just seeing that huge tail off in the second half of the season. And I know that Galtier's, you know, he's one of the, um, if not the shining light of this generation of French managers, but two seasons, two seasons in a row with two different clubs, he's overseen a, a massive, massive tail off from January. Um, and I, I think questions can be asked. And then in terms of Campos, I mean, we can go back to the transfer market, but uh, Angus brought, brought up the, the defence and, and how they're just all at sea. And I think, you know, the picture of that is, is Sergio Ramos, who I think the club bet without really any evidence on Thiago Silva's decline, uh, which has not come to pass, and thought that Ramos would be the intelligent person to, you know, experience to replace Thiago Silva. That has not come to pass at all. And that's been a really poor piece of business. I know that his, his contract is up in the summer and I wouldn't necessarily be rushing to renew it. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned last week that they, I feel that there's going to be a big, there should be, a big clear out. I mean, a really big clear out. And uh, I mean, I, I, Angus, you, your point about the defence, but it started with Ashraf Hakimi, World Cup semi-finalist. Marquinhos, I think he's also a World Cup semi-finalist. Sergio Ramos, 
World Cup and double Euro winner. And Juan Bernat, okay, he's only a Spanish international. <laughs> yeah, but um, yesterday, I mean, um, you'd have to say that Bernat was caught out for um, the goals on the um, the left-hand side. He, they, he was beaten far too easily. Um, but the, 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 it's a, they, Paris Saint-Germain are just weird because they, they are very much a, a, an attack-led side. I mean, let's not forget Messi's having his best season since he arrived, 15 um, goals, 15 assists. He's only the third player ever to do that in a league and season. And Kylian Mbappe, of course, is way out in front in terms of goals scored. But it just shows you that a Galacticos approach to putting a team together doesn't necessarily guarantee you titles, as it didn't when Real Madrid were doing the same thing, when, ironically, Messi was at Barcelona. So it, it shows that... And I think that this is what Luis Campos, he's probably trying to change this. But the problem is he's inherited a system that just chucked money at any player that came in, even if they weren't sort of like a world beater. You know, you've, you've got, you know, players who have gone out on loan who have not um, been very popular uh, to where they've gone. They're going to come back because they're probably not going to be kept on by the clubs that they've gone to. So then what? I mean, how do you offload those players so that you can bring in the players you actually need. Yeah, it's going to be a really, really interesting summer at, at PSG. Just for do one quick thing, uh, gentlemen, or perhaps two quick things. Firstly, Mbappe's goal. Now it's it is a little bit difficult to 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 describe, and I and I have to say, Andy uh, told me himself that he was actually watching the replay of the incident, which which left Kylian Mbappe sort of down in the box. He 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 sort of gone down. Half-hearted penalty appeals waved away by the referee. Andy was watching the replay, and suddenly the ball's in the back of the net, and that's because the the Lorient goalkeeper Yvonne Mvogo just rolls the ball out in it almost inexplicably. Mbappe just can't believe it, and just takes it away, takes a touch, and then hammers it into the net and runs off to celebrate as if he bent one into the top corner from thirty yards. It's a it's a really curious goal. Um, I seem to remember uh, a Nottingham Forest player, Gary Crosby. There you go. There's one for there's one for your kids. You want to Google that one? Uh, scored a similar goal when he headed the ball out of out of one hand of a Manchester City goalkeeper. It might have been Andy Dibble, I think. Um, I'll I'll stop now. <laughs> but a similar similar sort of goal. And it was curious. And Vogo saying that the referee told him to 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 play. He, he thought that the referee had blown for a foul. Uh, because um, uh, for well, basically a foul for simulation, which uh, I don't think there is in fact a, a foul for simulation um, for, against Mbappe. In which case, he should have had a yellow card anyway. But it's, it was a curious, it was a curious moment, and and one that you certainly should go onto the official YouTube channel of Liga Uber Eats and, and and check out. It's a, it's an interesting goal. It does put um, Mbappe on twenty three goals for the season. He's two ahead now of Jonathan David. Um, the other thing was, let's give Lorient a little bit of mm. credit. Two players very much putting themselves in the shop window. Enzo Lefay, who, uh, if you don't know, his surname translates into English as Enzo the Fairy. And he, he was magical yesterday. Got the first goal. His, uh, his contract's up, uh, I think, at the end of 2024. But Lorient not, not talking about an extension. So he looks like he'll be moving on. Um, Roman Fev as well. Two assists against PSG. He's got three assists in five matches. Uh, he's on loan from 
Lyon, a move from Brest, which hasn't really worked out as yet. But he looked very good uh, yesterday. Former Monaco man, it seems to me, Luke. And uh, Romain Fevre, I I personally thought he was a very, very good player at Brest, particularly uh, last season, uh, in the first part of last season and the season before. thought he linked up really well with the likes of Honorat and, and Cardona. Disappointing at, at, at Lyon, but it was a big move. Um, how do you see? How do you see him as a player, Luke? And and where do you think? I mean, do you think he'll go back to Lyon and uh, and actually establish himself there, or is he going to move on? I mean, yeah, Romans, uh, that spell at Brest was absolutely brilliant, and you, you caught, thought that you know he could have his pick of any league and club, and at that point maybe he kind of chose the wrong one for that point in his career because I think that. Leon, unfortunately, despite its you know his prestigious academy, I think has become slightly a graveyard for some of those players in their kind of post formation that kind of twenty one to twenty four they struggle sometimes to kind of turn that potential into just concrete talent and and consistent players playing at the highest level week in week out and I think that's the issue uh particularly with with Fevre, who didn't get very long it it must be said at Leon it's not like he was there for years and years it was a very very short spell at a very difficult time for the club with Peter Bors who never really got a tune out of him but also struggled to get a tune out of many players for the club it wasn't just him and yeah he he gets his his route out um in in you know this season and it, it's been a positive move I mean if if I was Lorient I'd be doing a lot to try and keep hold of him and I think they would have good arguments to try and keep hold of him despite the fact that you know if he does say that he would be uh, a big fish in a, in a relatively small pond but Lorien have been very, very impressive, and you know, getting those competitive advantages um, is something that they've they've really maximised this season. And that if they want to keep in the position that they are, they need to continue maximising because if you have these performances from these individuals week in, week out, season after season, they do leave as as January attested to with Moffi and and Watara going, and, and as you say, Enzo Lefay, who's been incredible this season, almost certain to, to depart this season. So there's going to be have to be a renewal. I think that Favre is is a player that they could definitely keep with the money raised from from some sales, and I think it could be in the interest of the player also to stay there to really establish himself and then really kind of project himself forward and and try and move his way back up. Um, I think though, yes, it, it, it would certainly be good for him if he could. But the trouble is, he's got there is that he's up against a whole load of really attacking midfielders who are coming through, born and bred, Leon, the likes of um, Ryan Shirky. Um, you even had Kumbedi who was playing on the right-hand side, which is his favoured position in some senses. But you've got a load of other that have come in. Jafino has come in, who's obviously going to be one of the people that uh, want to develop there. Kakare is also coming forward and uh, from midfield and is developing himself as well. So it's, it's, I think that Fevre has got a very big decision coming up as to whether or not he feels he can force his way into that um, midfield, that attacking midfield. Unless, of course, some of those youngsters leave the club, as seems to happen with uh, Leon. I think this would be some, some, some special mentions, though, for uh, Lorient. The back, Talby, Mete and Le Goff had great games, um, tr- shutting out uh, Messi and, uh, and Mbappe. And Kalilou had a really good uh, game on the right-hand side as well. And it's something that Lorient needed because they've struggled since Terry Moffi. Uh, left the side they went into a bit of a, a free fall let's not forget they were neck and neck with Paris Saint-Germain at the beginning of the season had a, had a sensational start and then it, it kind of all dropped away and it kind of happened when Moffy left to um, go elsewhere but I think that um, 
Laurie are in a very healthy position overall, and I think they can be very satisfied with the way that they are no longer relegation fodder. I have to say, just to, you mentioned the name there, Angus, and I think he's a very, very good player. He's really impressed me mm. this season. Montasar Talbi, Tunisian international. Where is he born? Paris. <laughs> of course. Didn't need to look very far, did you, gentlemen? <laughs> but he's he looks really, really good in the ball. He he he's been around the been around the block a little bit already, despite only being twenty four. He's played in Tunisia, Turkey, Italy, and Russia. But he looks an absolute superb piece of business from Lorient. And uh, I'm afraid to say that as a, as a selling club, they uh, they're not going to keep hold of him for for very much longer. Well, let's move on to Leon. You mentioned. Uh, the the possibilities of of Roman Fair moving back and from Lorient and uh, and potentially improving that Lyon squad or just potentially just being sold on like so many other players who've come and gone so quickly at the at the Group Armour Stadium, a good win on Friday evening for Laurent Blanc's side, winning two one at Strasbourg, which doesn't do a, a lot for uh, Strasbourg's relegation fears. Ryan Shirky on the bench. Now, for me, Ryan Shirky does flatter to deceive quite a lot, but Bradley Barkola doesn't. Would have had a brilliant goal, uh, Barkola, uh, but it was uh, ruled out for a fractional offside. Morgan Sanson, with his first goal for uh, Strasbourg, the uh, former Montpellier and Marseille midfielder, swinging one in uh, early on, but... uh, Leon coming back pretty well, actually, so showing a little bit of the backbone that we haven't seen. And it was uh, two homegrown players, Castello Lukeba, who actually was later sent off for a, a second yellow card, and Maxence Kakere, who uh, who scored in, in the space of four first half minutes to get to get Leon the win. Now, Kakere, you, you just mentioned uh, Kakere just before Angus. I was personally really, really, really impressed with Kakere on Friday and he's generally played in sort of a defensive midfield mm. role for Leon for for much of the time that he's he's come through into the first team but he's now playing a little bit further up the pitch and uh he, he looks he looks really comfortable on the ball there were some nice little touches and turns he got a really good goal too on Friday it was a super goal ball played across first time from uh I think it was Enrique from the left and on the edge of the box, Kakare just steered it first time into the far corner, just opened that foot up and just played it into the far corner. He's the France under-21 captain now, which says a lot about his personality, leadership and character. But he's got the quality too. And I, th- I think, Angus, that, that maybe Leon have stumbled, stumbled upon, again, a, a very, very good world-class, not sure, but definitely international-class midfielder in Maxence Kakare. Well, you, you can feel his development, can't you? Almost game by game through this season. He's been given more responsibility and he seems to be stepping up to it. He he can be caught out of position a few times, but he's still a young man. So, I mean, he's he's learning the game up against, you know, top players in the uh, the league. So you've got to give the young players a, a little bit of a, I think, a little bit of a, a free pass in that way. Otherwise, you don't develop. Laurent Blanc looks determined to bring through the young generation and develop in a in a different way, um, they've had some some really good, experienced players that they've got rid of and they've struggled as a result of it because every time they get anywhere they they have to start again. Uh, and the manager always seems to carry the can when things don't work. 
um, when you would have to say you, you need to look behind the scenes, perhaps, as to where that problem is coming from. But Kakare, like I said, I, I said a moment ago, he seems to be developing uh, a more forward-based game, which is why it's not good news for Roman Fev, because Roman Fev doesn't really have a defensive game to uh, to match what Kakare can bring to that side. Kakare seems to... You can see all of these youngsters, they've played together before because they all can find each other on the pitch. They've been particularly good away from home. Um, they're where their woes have come have been at home, and you can't help thinking that maybe the maybe because of of the young the youngness of the side, they've struggled when the, the Leon fans have been getting on the team's back away from home. They've been absolutely sensational, and Leon's. It makes me laugh actually that uh, we were talking. Well, we weren't just, but everybody in the media was talking about the Coupe de France was their last chance to get into Europe. Um, and then suddenly they were out of um, the Coupe de France, and then suddenly they were back in the European hunt um, through the league. I don't think they're going to make it, to be quite honest with you. But I think that the the groundwork is there for a much better season next season. And I know that that gets said about Lyon quite a lot at the end of every season. But I think that now we've got this group of young players, if they manage to keep them, that are now developing a real identity under Laurent Blanc in the side. Yeah, one defeat in the last nine for Leon, three points shy of sixth-placed Rennes, but six points shy of fifth-placed Leo. Five games to go, it's going to be tight, as you, as you said. Elsewhere, just eight games around France this weekend because of the Coupe de France on Saturday. More of that later. Uh, there are midweek games as as a consequence and big ones too. We'll we'll be talking about those too. Uh, Stade de Reims must surely be considering sacking Will Still. <laughs> Winless in four now. Gosh, what's going on after that 19-game unbeaten run? Uh, Claremont though. Claremont with a 1-0 win. Great John Kier with an early goal for them at home to Reims on Sunday. Claremont five games in a row. They have won. That is very impressive. Nice Ending a seven-match winless run under under Didier Degas, winning 1-0 at uh, Troyes. Patrick Gisnobo's side in real, real trouble now. 22 points, 10 points adrift of safety with five games to go. Troyes winless in 14. Not looking good for them. It is looking good for Marseille. It wasn't, though, for quite a long time on Sunday evening as they took on Auxerre. And I actually commentated this one. Free kick for Osset. Lopez comes, doesn't get a great punch on it, and Toure! Fabulous strike from the Osset captain, and the visitors are in front. Superb goal from Birama Toure, and the velodrome falls silent bar the pocket of Osset fans. Didn't get a great punch, Lopez. It wasn't the worst, though. But nobody getting out to Toure. And his shot dips in under the crossbar. Really fine strike from the Osa captain. Well, here's an opportunity, maybe the equaliser! It is fabulous strike from the informed Chingiz Under. Three goals in three games now for the Marseille winger. A little bit lucky. In the challenge with Pelna, but it was all he needed. And he absolutely smashes it into the far side of the net. No chance for Radu. Marseille level. And we will have a grandstand finish here at the Velodrome. 
Under's fifth of the season. And now Marseille with a chance maybe for another. And they've turned it right round. Alexis Sanchez with the second for Marseille in the space of just a couple of minutes. Devastation on the face of Ianot Radu, the Osa goalkeeper. But the velodrome in raptures. It's number 17 of the campaign for Alexis Sanchez. So Alexis Sanchez does it again for Marseille. Ching is under as well, who was uh, has been superb. He really has been superb this season, in, in, in particular lately. Three in three for Chingizunda, but uh, Alexis Sanchez now 17 goals. 17 goals for the season for uh, the, the Chilean icon. Marseille, five points behind Paris Saint-Germain with five games to go. Are we getting excited? Are we getting excited, Luke? Is the title race back on? I keep getting excited and then I keep getting let down. So, you know, I'm not going to get too hyped up about them closing the gap to, to five again. It is five points with PSG's running and with five games remaining. But Marseille, I, I've just honestly been quite surprised by how they how consistent they've been this season. I think that they're almost certainly going to get over 80 points, which I think is, you know, that's, that's a, a decent total that should be putting you in the mix to win the title. And I'm sure they'll, they'll get close to that. But... It feels like a side that has been well-renewed. I mean, apart from Vettini, who hasn't really hit the ground running, I think you look through that squad and you can kind of say that, yeah, all of those moves did kind of work out. Obviously, Jonathan Close was a very, that was a very, very safe bet, wasn't it, from Marseille. Tavares, within a two-door system, feels like a safe bet as well, even though he's defensively found lacking on on whenever he's called upon to, to do any defending. But loads of these players have come in and have really imposed themselves. And I think Igor Tudor has just kind of, his personality, his just general aura, I think just so, you know, coalesces with with what Marseille are as a club, what its fans want from a manager. I think um, it's just been a, a pretty perfect marriage. And of course, there's a little bit of talk in the press about his his contract maybe being renewed and there's potentially some interest from Juventus. You know, you don't know if that's just, you know, paper talk as, as it were. But, you know, I think that is a testament to the, to the job that he has done this season, the consistency that he's got out of this side, despite a few disappointing results along the road, um, you know, that's happened to every single club in league on this season. The odd surprise along the way, but I think this Marseille side, I hope they can they can make fist out of it and and really push PSG and put them under pressure. Um, but you know, it's not in their hands ultimately. So all they can just keep doing is just keep winning. And obviously, they've got Lance next week, so um, you know that's not an easy game. Uh, they've got a couple of difficult ones. So I believe they've got Lille as well between now and the end of the season. So. Uh, it won't be easy, but hopefully they can mount something resembling a title charge. That's the sort of insight that we want to see on Le Bourgeois, uh, Luke. Marseille in second, taking on Lens next week. It will not be easy. That's what Luke Enwistle says, and he's absolutely right. It, it certainly won't be easy. But what it, what I find interesting is the run the run-ins of, of Marseille, PSG. Now, Marseille have got Angers already relegated. As a, as a consequence of their of their defeat to 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 Rennes on on Sunday, but they've got Brest who have got a a fighting chance to say to stay up, Ajaxio who are likely to be down as well. Now you just wonder how those sides who were relegated on or potentially relegated when Marseille play them are going to play it. Pressure off generally is a very very dangerous thing uh, for an opponent because a team a team with no pressure usually plays brilliantly. Um, they also have that. Not easy game at Lulz. 
And then they also play Lille, as, as you mentioned, Luke, who are, who are currently in fifth and pushing for Europe themselves. PSG have Troyes, similar case to Ajaxio, who are also playing PSG in the run-in. And then Auxerre. Based on what happened yesterday, Auxerre are not going to be an easy opponent for Paris Saint-Germain, that's for sure. And I, I mean in terms of Auxerre's performance at Marseille and also PSG's performance against Lorient. But PSG also plays Strasbourg, who are one of those four sides fighting against, uh, uh, against, shall we say, snapping up that final fourth relegation spot. And Clermont, who are on a five-game winning streak right now, and we all know are an extremely difficult opponents. That those games, it, it, I can't, I can't even get my head round whether those games are going to be easy, difficult, or because everything just seems to be thrown at least a little bit into 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 contention. Given the way that PSG played yesterday, how Marseille have come, have stuck with it and, and come through at times, and and shown real grit um, in, in coming back. I mean, yesterday. We talked about Vitinha, had a couple of chances, didn't take them. Actually looked pretty good, I thought. Actually looked pretty good. Um, but when you look at the run-ins there, okay, Angus, here's here's an opportunity mm. for uh, for me to be able to rib you for, for to, to Kingdom Come. I haven't even mentioned Strasbourg yet. Can can you see can you see Marseille doing it? I'm gonna stick my neck out and I can say, yes, I can actually see Marseille doing this because I can see PSG based on what we saw yesterday, based on what we've seen in the last few weeks, I can see PSG slipping up against Auxerre, against Strasbourg, and against Clermont. They might beat Tuan Ajaxio. Wow. But those three games, I think those three games, they're not going to lose all of them, but they might draw. They might lose one. And then we're starting to get very, very, very close indeed. It does, of course, mean that Marseille basically have to win all of theirs, though. You are talking up a very good run-in, I have to say there, Ian, but I must admit I will probably argue the opposite. I think that Paris Saint-Germain, now that they've seen that, a lot of the criticism that's going to come in, I can't believe that they're going to play rubbish in consecutive games all the way till the end of the season. I think that uh, they'll, they, I think they'll, I think they're going to win it, even if they win it by one point. I don't, I cannot see how Marseille are going to make two victories up with the fact when they have got to play against the likes of Lance, Lille, and to um, a certain extent, Auxerre. Uh, because Auxerre, it's not just based on the way they performed um, against um, Marseille yesterday. I think that Auxerre are probably the most dangerous club that Paris Saint-Germain will play in the last five games, based on the way that they've come back in the last few games as well. Um, I must admit, I spent the night crying last night after... Uh, Osea went 1-0 up, even though they were getting battered by Marseille for a large part of that game. But we nearly held on and then conceded twice in the last 15 minutes. Oh, I couldn't believe it. But I agree with you, Sengizunda. He's absolutely wonderful. He's, 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 he's really stepping up to the plate. Brilliant out on that right-hand side, linking up with everybody that comes anywhere near him. Um, but I still can't see how Marseille are going to win all five games and Paris Saint-Germain will drop enough points for them not to win the title. I, I, I just, I can't see it. Even with my... I'm, I'm just a romantic, Angus. Well, I'm yes, just a romantic. You've always been that non-cynical um, voice in the top of my head. That's true. But um, I, it, it, it would be wonderful. Yeah, I mean, the, the kind of um, running we had with Lille 
it would be great to have that every season um, in terms of not necessarily that Paris Saint-Germain lose, but just that that jeopardy until the the last the very last moment. But I, I still can't see. I think Paris Saint-Germain have enough in the bank to be able to still win the title. That's a, probably an appropriate uh, <laughs> metaphor. Luke, simply yes or no. Yes or no, PSG, PSG lose it. Marseille win it. Loss. PSG, that's that's the most boring shout, but PSG win it by by more than three points. And it's wrapped up before the, the final game week of the season, just to be a bit more specific. Sorry. Oh, so young and yet so jaded already. <laughs> I thought you were the um, Yeah, that, <laughs> there's a big, there is a big game. There is a, there's a, there's a big game at the start, Felix Bonnard, Delelli on Saturday. And it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting contrast between Lance's amazing home form and Marseille's, well, I could look for another adjective, but I'll have to say amazing away form uh, this season because that, that, that is, that is a fa- that's a fantastic game. And in between, and in between, Lance have to go to Toulouse, Coupe de France winners on Tuesday night and win. And win, basically. I mean, that's to be able to overhaul Marseille, they've got to win and then win on Saturday, really. Um, that would be that's that's quite that's quite a tall order based on how Toulouse played in the Coupe de France final. More of that very soon. Just a quick thing as well. Head again to the YouTube channel of Liga and Uberis and check out Birama Toure's goal for Auxerre. That's a beauty. Another very very good goal from Amin Guiri and a couple of very good goals from Jeremy Doku as Rennes beat Angers on on Sunday. Angers relegated then it's it's been it's amazing that it's lasted this long quite frankly for me um but five games to go the earliest relegation since Troyes back in in 2016 they managed to score two goals in an away game the first time since October they've picked up five points away from home which clearly is 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 never enough Renno looked like the old Ren they were they were brilliant going forwards and Doku, I mean, he's had these injury problems. Super couple of goals from him, really, uh, to, to to take the game away from Angers. Back-to-back home braces for the uh, for the, the Belgian international. The first since, and here's a name for you, Shabani Nonda. Former Monaco man as well. Very good. I think he was top scorer in the league game with, uh, with Monaco, wasn't he? Uh, Shabani Nonda back in, in, in 2000. Actually once interviewed Shabani Nonda in, uh, in, a, in a chateau up uh, near Chantilly, which is just north of Paris. And uh, he, he just had this most... He... <laughs> I'm just being asked by by our producer, Stephen Willis, whether whether this was in a toilet. It wasn't in a toilet, actually. It was actually okay. in the chateau, Stephen. I, I sometimes do interviews outside of toilets. It's, uh, I did interview, and here's this is a non-secretary, but I did interview former Bayern Munich captain Mark van Bommel in a lift in the Allianz Arena once. That was uh, that was also a, a, a great moment in my career. Did that go down well? Um, but uh, uh, actually, it was going up. Ah, okay. uh, but uh, Suklos, Suklos, Suklos were brilliant upon Angus. Uh, Nanda came in with a, with 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 a cap, with wearing a cap, which I think must uh, must cost more than my annual salary. That's uh, basically what I can remember of that interview. Crikey, that's a lot. Anyway, he was a very nice man, though. I do I also remember that too. <laughs> Thank you, Angus. <laughs> I wish. Lille, keeping ahead of uh, Rennes in the race for fifth place, which is guaranteed Europa Conference League football next season. Fine performance too, especially from Remy Cabela. 
Renaissance man, Remy Cabela. 3-0 against the Jacks. Uh, Joe David not getting on the score sheet this weekend. Still 21 for the Canada International. Uh, as I mentioned, two behind Mbappe at the top of uh, the scoring charts. Sixth away defeat in a row for Ajaxio. We've already talked about them. Pretty much on their way uh, back to back to League 2, unfortunately, for them. Just a quick thing on Cabela. Well, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect him to be this good. Only Lionel Messi has delivered more braces of assists than Cabela this season in the top five European leagues. Unbelievable. I, I predicted, I predicted, this is my uh, Strasbourg moment, Angus. I predicted Remy Cabello would be brilliant in the Premier League with, uh, with Newcastle. Newcastle fans, no different, but I think him and uh, Florian Torvan were very good, very good uh, pieces of business by Newcastle and they probably should have stuck with them. And Cabello playing really, really, really well for Lille right now. And they are hanging on to the coattails of, sorry, Luke, Monaco. Monaco now find themselves in fourth place on 61 points, five points behind Lens, who are in third, and just two points ahead of Lille. And why? Callum Brown saw this one at the Stade Louis II. Farah. Good pass. Here comes Arnold Nordan, cutting inside. Lovely from Nordan. Exceptional. Arnold Nordan gives Montpellier the lead here in Monaco. What a run and what a finish. Drove beyond Fofana, the man that gave the ball away. And slots that beyond Alexander Nubel. And Monaco, who were humbled last weekend against Lens. They trail home to Montpellier. Well, here come Montpellier again. Mawasa finds Eliwahi. One on one against Matsima. Gets the overlap of Mawasa and it's two. An incredible counter attack once more from the visitors. And this run under Michel Derzakarian just continues. Here was Wahi. Isolated Matsima. Saw the overlap of Mawasa. Some would maybe have gone across goal there. He went to the front post of Alexander Nubel. A great hit from Mawasa, his fourth goal of the season. Avadidi. Finds Arnold Nordan now. Nordan cuts in. It's three. Arnold Nordan with his second. And Montpellier's third. Well, this is exceptional. Monaco are being ripped to shreds on their own patch. Arnold Nordan, the star man today. He's at the double. It's lovely work from Mavadidi. But Nordan again, he cuts inside onto that left foot. It's almost an identical finish to his first. Beyond Caio Henrique. And into that far corner. Here's Nordan. Pelia come forward again. Arnold Nordan for Steffi Mavadidi. It's four. This is incredible. And Steffi Mavadidi finds the back of the net for the second weekend in a row. The Englishman formerly of Arsenal and Juventus Youth Academies. Played in the lower leagues in England as well. Getting it up in league on this turn. Nordam once more, that's incredible. A good pass. An assist to add to his two goals. Monaco nil, Montpellier four. We maybe saw a shock on the cards. 
this afternoon, but I don't think anyone saw this coming. Monaco's biggest loss then, 4-0, since January 2019, when Thierry Henry uh, got sacked after that uh, 5-1 defeat to Strasbourg. Luke, Angus was crying all night because of Auxerre's very spirited performance and uh, a certain degree of quality against uh, against Marseille. But, I mean, how how do you explain this one? 4-0. Yeah, I mean, um, where to start, I think, is, is where you start. I mean, that's seven goals conceded, no goals scored in the last game. The defence this season has been atrocious. They've got one of the... Their, their defensive form puts them in really the, the bottom half of that table. You know, they've conceded more goals than, say, Claremont Foot. Uh, and I know that, you know, Benoit Badia-Shield left in, in the winter. That caused issues because then suddenly it's more difficult to go to a back three because, well, Malang Sarr has not been the player that he was when he was at Nice and he's therefore not just been able to kind of seamlessly slot in as they hoped he would. So you kind of take away options there. The defence is not has not performed all season, really. Even when Buddy Shields that I think they're still shipping more goals than they should have been and than they were last season because really the defensive solidity was the basis from which Monaco made that charge up the table towards the end of uh, towards the end of the season. But, I mean, there's so much going on here. Um, I think, you know, key players underperforming. I think Yusuf Fafan has been a ghost of the player that he was prior to the World Cup and at the World Cup where I thought he was, he was pretty good. Um, you know, not spectacular, but I think he was solid. Um, I think that Axel de Sassi looks a little bit physically spent. He said it, you know, he said it himself a few weeks back. And, you know, the, the games have still been coming thick and fast. So, you know, I'm sure that hasn't eased up. I think there's maybe even a, a mentality issue there. But, you know, maybe not enough experience. I mean, Cesc Fabregas at the club became a bit of a joke last season because he didn't play at all. Um, but I think, you know, that kind of player around the squad, I think, helps. And, you know, you talk about, you know, the cadre of the team, you know, the spine of the team, the, these really experienced stalwarts. And, well, there aren't really many of them. And those that are aren't actually that old. You know, in the leadership group, they've got Yusuf Fafana, they've got Disassi, both of whom are under 25. And then, obviously, the other major one is Wissam Benyeda, who, OK, a brilliant technical player, a great goal scorer, but not a leader, not the most vocal player. I think you've got, you know, Philippe Clemence talked about too many introverts in the team, you know, players trying to firefight all over the pitch. If, you know, someone doesn't do something, you know, there's not necessarily the communication for the team to re kind of readjust. And you spoke about an implosion and that is honestly speaking specifically about Montpellier. But I mean, everything that I say about Montpellier also um, is relevant to the launch match a week earlier. There's just no fight, no aggression, lost every duel, everyone out of position, a complete mental implosion and you know come on shore at half time and he did make three changes i'm sure he tried to really uh regather his thoughts and, and, and really kind of redirect this team in, in the right direction but it, it did not come to fruition at all and if anything i'd say the second half was worse uh, than the first half and you know for axel de sassi france international someone who's linked with a big big money move to i don't know to to lose so many jewels to you why he to, to Nordan, who was absolutely brilliant uh why he and, and Nordan were absolutely brilliant you know and, and credit does have to be going to, you know be given to, to montpellier who have been incredible since durza Karin took over uh really this is just as much about monaco's faults as as um as montpellier's strengths and um post-match clement talked about you know some of these players want to be having big transfers, notably, you know, De Sassi, but also for Fauna, maybe others as well. And, you know, performances like this will really do damage. But I think it's indicative of a team of, you know, some players who potentially have their head elsewhere at this point of the season. 
and are already looking at next season, which may not be at the Stade Louis de. I think, Ian, that um, you can't really overestimate the the hole that the lack of Aurelien Chouamani has made in that Monaco midfield. He's gone on at Real Madrid to show just what a quality player he is. But I think it's also the partnership that he had with Yusuf Fafana as well. The two together, I mean, they were just a wall in front of the um, the defence. And so maybe that helped to disguise maybe some of the frailties in the back four in terms of defensive qualities. Now that he's not there, it's become a, a lot more difficult. We shouldn't forget that last season, this was the time when they were going through their record nine match winning run that took them up into second place, which, OK, ultimately they messed it up on the last day. But this season has been more difficult. But when, I think, And I think it's because when you lose a marquee player like um, Aurelien Chouamani, it's very difficult to just slot somebody else in and expect them to do exactly the same job. Enzo Matazzo, I don't think, has really fitted in as well. And I think that um, they need to find somebody again who's going to fill that void. I mean, yeah, Mohamed Kamara was there, you know, at the start of the season, but his performance levels after an absolutely brilliant start, notably that game at the Parc des Princes against PSG, his performance levels have dropped off a cliff and it's mm. just everyone's. And, you know, you talk about it's difficult to slot players in when you lose, you know, Marquis signings. I mean, that is that is the Monagas project. That is is their their kind of conundrum every single season because that that is the, the model of the club to develop and then to sell when they get to a certain level. So, I mean, they're going to have to find someone to potentially replace De Sassi, maybe even to replace Fafana as well. It's it's a difficult task, you know. Nobody's saying it's an easy task, but it is something that they have to they have to kind of factor into to their recruitment and and replacing these players that you think are irreplaceable and, and maybe too many with his specific skill set is actually in many ways actually quite irreplaceable. You, you have to try and manage, you know. You have to try and, and get some light for lights and, and and rebuild this team because it does feel as though actually that this team is now coming towards the end of the cycle. And Monaco have got a new sporting director coming in in the summer and. Luke, you mentioned their defensive record, and I just took a quick look at the table. They've, they're the second top scorers in the league. 66 goals, PSG, top scorer 76. Best defence in the league is Lens, admittedly with a game less than Monaco. But I don't think Lens are going to concede 25 against, uh, against, against Toulouse on Tuesday to then match Monaco's quite ridiculous total of, uh, of 50. Brest, who are fourth from bottom, have conceded 48. Nantes, who are fifth from bottom, mm. have conceded 46. Big game, that one. Well, it's, it's, not, difficult. it's not difficult to see where, where Monaco's, Monaco's problems lie. And, and losing to Sassi, losing Badia's Shield, losing, selling for probably a huge profit, I, I have to say, as you say, is the Monaco project. But, but they've got to do the work and, 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 and fill those gaps and anticipate before they lose them. And, and they clearly haven't done that. And I think it's, uh, that's a pretty inexplicable number. Um, it's obviously, Philippe Clement is under a little bit of pressure, I, I, I would have said. Could you then argue that Monaco overperform in the, term, in the way that they actually um, play their game? Because if the whole project is to build up players to a certain level and then send them off, how then do they then develop as a club that... Um, can challenge for the title consistency. I mean, when Kylian Mbappe came through, they won the title in 2017. He then left. And the trouble is, is that if you want to build, and this is perhaps why they have so much trouble getting into the Champions League group stage, is because it's always a couple of steps forward. And then you could argue a couple of steps backwards again, rather than just one step back. They, 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 they find it 
if that's your business model, then can you really expect them to be challenging all the time? Yeah, I mean, these, there's been a lot of talk about since Jumeni left about refinding some kind of balance in the midfield because although Kamara is a great player, Fafan's a great player, none of them do exactly what he could do. And the problem is, is that you lose them in the summer, Monaco have the playoffs then in August, and really, you've really not refound any kind of balance or any kind of, um, I don't know, any fluidity with the new players that you've brought in and with the new system that you're having to kind of build around this new set of players. So it's it's a constantly changing, constantly evolving kind of problem. Maybe is a bit strong, but, you know, it, it's a constantly evolving situation at the club. And I think that, you know, you speak about not getting into the into the group stage just because you've lost in the playoffs twice. Well, it, it's because you've got these new players, you've lost players, you've brought new players in. And by August, of course, you've not refound any kind of rhythm or a new balance that you must find having sold such important players. And of course, you haven't had all those friendly games as well for them to be able to get those um, those um, synchronizations between all the players because they've had to go through Champions League qualifying. So it's a, it really is a bit of a chicken and egg um, scenario for Monaco in that sense. And, and to be honest with you, anybody who finishes third in Liga. Maybe Monaco don't need to look too much further than Sunday's opponents for a, a couple of players that could could uh, very much fit their business model. Steffi Mavadidi scoring in consecutive matches. His uh, fourth career goal against Monaco. He's now just one shy of Glenn Hoddle, former Monaco man. His 27-goal tally in his career in, in France as the top-scoring Englishman. And the other one, obviously, is Elie Wahi, who uh, is, a, is a superb player. I think a special moment, uh, there was a special moment for uh, Montpellier at the weekend as well. You saw the way they celebrated at full time. Um, there were, I think, tears in the eyes of uh, Laurent Nicolas, uh, an embrace for um, Michel Zizakarin, who's come back and has completely transformed Montpellier again. He's got them out of the uh, the relegation mire, which they were very much in um, before he, he came back from Brest um, via unemployment. But he he just seems to be a great fit for Montpellier, and it was it was a nice moment when all of that pressure was just released, and they knew they were safe. Yeah, eleven points now between Montpellier, who've got seven wins in eleven since MDZ uh, returned to the to the club. Um, they, uh, yeah, I I think I'm, I'm safe to say that they're safe. Well, let's move on to events on Saturday night at the Stade de France. It was a, a real show was put on by uh, the organisers pre-match and then Toulouse followed it up with a stunning performance, an absolutely stunning performance and uh, Nantes with an equally stunning performance but in, in, in negative terms as Toulouse absolutely swept Nantes away. 4-0 up they were within... What, half an hour or something like that. Logan Costa with a couple inside the first 10 minutes. Uh, Tice Dallinger with a couple as well. Um, Zakaria Abouklal wrapping things up with a, a, a pile driver, I think we could describe it as, uh, late on. Um, Ludovic Blaser had brought things back with a penalty to 4-1, but Nantes, Nantes were never in it. Massive, massive win for Toulouse. Five goals to one. Nantes, of course, had been looking for back-to-back Coupe de France wins, which they'd actually achieved in 1999 and 2000. Instead, they uh, suffered the biggest Coupe de France final defeat since the Nantes side of 1970 were thrashed by the all-conquering Saint-Étienne. It's uh, a second uh, Coupe de France for Toulouse after 
their first one back in 1957, which is uh, pretty much when you and I were about Angus, almost. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was an astonishing um, game. But I mean, let's face it, uh, Toulouse were right on the money ball, weren't they? Just to quote you out of your preview for that um, that Coupe de France uh, final, and. Um, I, I, I did their semi-final and uh, against, oh, I did their quarter-final against um, Annecy. And that was an astonishing game. And in one sense, that you could argue that was the game where they actually won the Coupe de France. because That was the semi-final. That was the semi-final, sorry. That yes, was... of course it was, yes. And uh, that was the game where perhaps they felt, right, we're going to win this because everything seemed to come to them. They, they are a team that are one of the most exciting to watch in um, Ligue 1 this season, along with Lens, I would say, arguably between the two of them. They really have brought this sort of like statistically driven recruitment and shown just how good it is. You know, I mean, lots of players that have come in from all over Europe. Um, and I mean, Stein Spearings, I mean, you've got to, you've got to go. Is anybody really in the club that would have been able to say, do you know what? I know a Dutchman in, um, who plays for Levski Sofia. He could be quite good if they hadn't had those <laughs> um, statistics to be able to, to shine them in that way. And I, I think that um, Damien Camoli, who's come in, former Liverpool man uh, <laughs> and Tottenham, uh, has come in and transformed the way that they do their workings. And um, Philippe Montagnier has been just the, the the right man to 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 shape the team. And he's he said that he you know they want they want it's not just the fact that they need to have this team that um, is driven by statistics, which fill their needs in the team itself, but also they put together a team. You can see the personalities of the players have been important in that sense as well, because they, they really do play for each other. They play together and they've, they've unearthed a couple of absolutely amazing players. Branko van den Bowman. We're talking about um, the, the, the men who set up goals for others like Lionel Messi um, but, and Jonathan Close. But he has been absolutely brilliant everywhere in midfield. And of course, with Stein Spearings, who also is more of a defensive player, but also can come forward as well. And then you've got Tice Dallinger, who has been a sensation up uh, front. And um, Zakaria Abuklal as well, who scored in all five of the uh, rounds that he played in. And they only played six to, uh, to win that title. And I mean, you, to be honest, with you, I'll, I'll stop there because you could literally keep going with players in that side, like Ferry Shaby, the hero of that win in Annecy, but also of generally through the season as well. It's been a wonderful thing to see. They won League 2. That doesn't guarantee you that you're going to stay up, but they've not really looked at all in danger of going down. No, they, they currently stand uh, in 13th place in the Ligue 1 table. They're, they're nine points clear of the, the bottom four with a game in hand, although that is, uh, I think, what Luke would describe as not an easy game. At home to at home to Lens on Tuesday and probably um, I'm not quite sure how that one goes. Do Toulouse bounce off that Coupe de France win mm. and give Lens an absolute real torrid evening, or are they quite frankly literally just so hungover after three days of partying that they they're not even going to be able to get their minds focused focused on the football, which which, which certainly played into to Lens's hands. But I have to agree, Fanden Bormann, superb. His set pieces are brilliant. They're a real weapon. They really are. He got 21 assists in Ligue 2 last season, eight this season, but he feels like more because he's just it's just so so menacing every time he plays the ball into the penalty area. And I have to say, Nantes gave 
let's say, gave pretty much four of those goals away. Mm. But Nantes' third goal, the ball from Gabriel Suazo up towards Tice Dallinger was an absolute beauty. It was a through ball curled round the last defender. I think it was Jean-Charles Castelletto. It was just far enough away from Castelletto that he couldn't get it. And it was just so perfectly weighted. It's perfectly weighted. doesn't even do it justice. And it was a brilliant one-time finish. Little dink over Alban Lafont, former Toulouse man as well, made his debut when he was about seven, I think. Actually, it was 16, but still very, very young. Like, like Luke, actually. And... <laughs> um, <laughs> And um, and when Angus and I were both in our mid forties, and thank um, you very much. I'll take that. It was a brilliant. It was a brilliant. It was a brilliant finish from from Dallinger. And I think uh, he he has huge credit, as you say, Angus, to the to the recruitment team at, at Toulouse, and a, and a and a big 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 win for them in the Coupe de France. So but, uh, crucial games there. One, sorry, oh, just, go ahead. I just Angus. want a, a special moment for Rasmus. Um, um, Rasmus Nicolaisen. Even though he gave the penalty away in that final. I don't think we can take away from the fact that the Dane has had a pretty great season generally at the back. And uh, I think that it's it's worthwhile bearing that in mind that uh, he and uh, Logan Costa, who incidentally, that's a brilliant comeback from scoring the own goal against Leon last week as well, which was not his fault at all. It was a mistake that happened earlier in the move. But they have been brilliant together. Des on the right-hand side and Suazo was spectacular as well. He's been another great addition to that Toulouse side. I'd just like to question... I was sorry, I was just going to question Nicolaisen's uh, fashion sense because he was wearing a purple beret uh, uh, at full time. Uh, sorry, sorry, uh, the slight, slightly less serious point from you, I'm sure, Luke. Um, no, ju- just as serious as a purple beret, as, as purposeful as, uh, <laughs> as serious as a purple beret, which I can't quite really kind of get my head around. But I mean, I um, w- <laughs> with uh, with Branko van den Boomen, I mean, his, his contract is obviously up in a few months' time. Um, everyone assumed he was leaving this summer. Uh, I'd love to see him another season in Liga and in Europe with Toulouse. So maybe that will be the motivation for him to stay for another season. I think that would be a great thing for Toulouse, a great thing for the for the division as well, because he, he's one of the more exciting players in the division. Yeah, Van den Boomen, out of contract, 27 years old, has had a pretty much a breakthrough couple of years at, at Toulouse. You do wonder uh, whether he will move on in the summer. And as you, as you say, Luke, it w- would be a shame. Just a quick thing. Toulouse not necessarily in European competition next season because they share the same owners as AC Milan and should AC Milan qualify for Europe by uh, pretty much winning the Champions League um, Hmm. Toulouse may find themselves missing out what a shame what a shame that would be as things stand though Toulouse in the Europa League next season they take on Lens on Tuesday Big one then at the top of the table. Not not too much to play for really now for 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 Toulouse, but uh, they'll certainly want to finish even on, on a bigger high following that Coupe de France win. And Wednesday, wow, relegation twenty seven pointer. I think I'll, I'll I'll go for between Brest and Nantes at the Stade Francis Leblay. Brest currently thirty two points, fourth from bottom in the table, just ahead of them because of a. a Two goal better goal difference, minus 13 to minus 11 on Nantes, also on 32 points. That is a huge game. And the uh, very, very western tip of Brittany. It's now time for our Deja Who quiz. Remember, you have to get all four answers right in the month 
to be able to have a chance of winning the Ligan Uber Eats shirt that is up for grabs in that particular month. For April, the answers were Olivier Dacour, Alphonse Ariola, the Italy great Christian Panucci once of Monaco, and Tony Varel. That's a little bit of the left field answer. The last one, the former Leon striker. This month's winner, Davor Tuchakovic. So uh, congratulations to Davor T. We'll be in touch about the Ligon shirt that will be winging its way to you down under very soon indeed. Well, it's the start of the month. That means a new Deja Who quiz. Remember, you have to get all the answers in the month as well as the special theme that links all of the answers. And then you stand a chance, like Davor, of winning that Ligon Uber Eats shirt that's up for grabs. So here's the first clue for the month of May. Who am I? My career started in my native country before I crossed the Atlantic just after the millennium. Initially, I played in Switzerland, but a lone move to Corsica sparked a 17-year career in Ligue 1. I went north, then south, where I won the Ligue 1 Uber Eats title and a brace of Coupe de la Ligue. I then headed west and was part of a surprise title triumph at the start of a decade-long stay at the club. Who am I? And what is my French League 21st century record? If you know, then please send us an email via league1podcast at gmail.com. Good luck. You're listening to Le Bourgeois. Please like and subscribe on all your usual podcast platforms. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Merci beaucoup. Well, appropriately enough, it's a, it's a very long way out there. To, uh, to Brest and uh, we do like to travel around France and take in the Ligue 1 action as and when we can it's time of course for our bon voyage ahead of round 34 well gentlemen it seems to me that there's really only one place that I would want to be and that is the sad Felix Bollard de la Ligue on, uh, on, on Saturday evening. That enormous game. The, the champion, I'm going to call it the Champions League group stage qualification playoffico between uh, Lens and, mm. and Marseille. I mean, the, the atmosphere there is going to be incredible. I would imagine that Marseille will not be allowed, unfortunately, to have travelling fans, which is one of the things that we've dealt with a number of times on on the podcast but i think if we if we try if we try and put that aside are there any are, are there any other games that we'd actually like to go to next weekend i'm i'm, I'm sure there are well I, i'm sure that uh, i'm sure that the uh, the Lons fans will be deeply respectful of the uh, visiting marseille team even without their uh, supporters <laughs> i i it's a, an interesting week isn't it because that game really does stand out like a sore thumb from everything else that's going on this weekend, Nice against Rennes could be interesting, but I'm going to go to uh, Auxerre. Auxerre on the edge, I would say, of surviving a season that they looked like they were never going to get to the end of, and they are so close to achieving it. So I think, can you be on the brink of survival? Does that is that yeah, a, is that a thing? If you could be on the brink of the title, okay. you could be on the brink of the survival. Absolutely, I got no problem okay. with that. Yeah. That would mean you're dead, though, stop, already. Stop ruining, you know? I, I'm stop not ruining my, my excitement of what's to come. 
<laughs> so I think I think Osair have I think Osair certainly of all those teams that are in that area, I would argue, even though they're my team, I would argue that their fight back has meant that they they deserve to survive the cull. And it is a cull this season with four teams going down. I think more than probably most of the teams that are around them in that fight. Right, with ten with ten points, uh with ten points the difference between Trois and Ajaxio and Trois, uh they have uh, again a, a not easy home game against Paris Saint-Germain. Or, or, or based on perhaps on, on, on Sunday's viewing, it is an easy home game for Troyes. Um, Troyes and Ajaxio, for my money, given that there would be four games left and they could find themselves more than uh, more than 12 points uh, in arrears of uh, quite a few teams, Troyes and Ajaxio very much playing for their uh, top flight survival. And I don't think they're on the brink of surviving, actually, quite frankly, those two. Uh, Ajaxio at home to Toulouse, and uh, Trois, as I mentioned, against uh, against Paris Saint Germain, both could be down next weekend if uh, if other results go against them. Luke, some interesting games for the the teams down where you're at on the on on the Côte d'Azur. Yeah, I mean the the Estac Trois one would be fun because if there's going to be a capitulation, you always want to be there, don't you? You want to be there for that that damning defeat that does open up the title race that you're you're really plugging for Ian. So, I mean, that would be, be fun. But I mean, apart from that, I think... Uh, it's my job. Oh, yeah. Got to pick it up, Luke. Got to pick it up, mate. <laughs> but no, you're right. The the Nice match uh, against Ren is... Um, the, the, I mean, at the start of the season, there should have been a lot more riding on that game. Like, let's be honest, you know, this game was probably, when it came up in round 34, we probably thought, oh, this is going to be a game for the Champions League spot. Uh, ultimately, it, it could be the game that means that neither side gets any form of European football because Ren are really on, on the brink <laughs> as well. Uh, and Nisa, uh, and you know, they're just in mid-table. You know, quite frankly, they're they're out of anything this this season. It'll be nice to see Amina Guiri back at the Allianz Riviera and Laborde, of course, up, up against his his former team. So that'll be a nice little narrative as well. But I think that should be a fun match, albeit one with very little uh, riding for it. At, at least for from Nisa's point of view, for Ren. Uh, only a win will do it if they have any designs on on catching Lille. I think. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I was, I was trying to go for an Amin Guirico. It's quite difficult, so I think we'll have to do the the Gaetan Labordico. It's far easier. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. I think I, Angus, you mentioned also uh, Clermont. Clermont, as I mentioned, five games. Uh, they've won the last uh, five. Monaco away at Angers. That, as I said, could go either way. Angers, perhaps a big reaction. To, to getting relegated, playing with no pressure. Monaco very, very much under pressure. Um, that actually could have been an easier fixture uh, for Philippe Clermont's side, who, who probably would have preferred somebody right in the middle of the table who, who didn't have a lot to play for. Having said that, people in right in the middle of the table of teams like Clermont. And Montpellier, um, so who he lost against. And Montpellier, <laughs> yes. And, and, and Montpellier, yes. Maybe I'll, I'll revise that opinion. Uh, uh, there's a Breton derby as well. Lorient against Brest, who of course are... Are in a, in a bit of trouble still, and I quite like the look of Nantes against Strasbourg. That's a big one for both of those teams, both currently locked on thirty-two points at the bottom of the table. So there's not just the uh, Champions League group stage qualification playoffico at the uh, the Stade Felix Bollard uh, to look out for next weekend. Well, that's it for another week of Le Bourgeois. Thanks to Luke Entwistle and Angus Terod for joining me. We will be back to catch up with uh, what will be undoubtedly an absolutely intriguing and spectacular round 34 in Ligue 1 Uber Eats next week. There'll be our Deja Who clue as well, the second of the month 
and uh, all your usual uh, favourites and undoubtedly some terrible, terrible puns from me as well. So until then, it's au revoir and à bientôt. Bye. Bye.